Well, if you have your Bibles, we will be in John 10 this morning. John 10, 1 through 10, and you can follow along. This series, you can see on the slide, is the I Am series. Seven times in John, Jesus uses the phrase I Am to refer to himself and to explain who he is. It's the exact phrase that God used in the burning bush back in Exodus when he spoke to Moses. Moses says, who should I say to the people has sent me? And God said, say, I am am sent you. That means the transcendent one. And there are seven of these that Jesus uses. We already taught on the bread of life. We taught on the light of the world. Today we are teaching on I am the gate. Then comes I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And I am the gate is probably the one that doesn't get spoken on as much. As a matter of fact, maybe you've never even heard a message on this statement, Jesus said, I am the gate. It usually gets lumped into, I am the good shepherd. Have you ever been misunderstood? Nod your head if you've ever been misunderstood. Jesus was often misunderstood. It's actually why he makes these statements to tell us a little bit more who he is. I know in my life I've made statements that people misunderstood. I've made facial expressions that people have misunderstood. I've made hand gestures that people misunderstood. And I'm sure that has happened to you before. It's not fun. You're trying to communicate. Maybe you've said this before. You've yelled at some person. You're not hearing me, right? Now, if you did not shake your head earlier, how do you do it? How do you do it? How have you never been misunderstood? Jesus was misunderstood often. And so he has in this passage, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss who I am. I don't want you to miss why I've come. And that's why he uses these phrases, I am. So today, I am the gate. And it is important we understand what Jesus is saying because there's so much beauty and there is so much power in this statement when he says, I am the gate. Now, we all understand what a gate is. We've all experienced gates in our lives. As a matter of fact, Jill and I were on a trip this last week. We were in the Gulf Coast area and we got to experience a lot of gates on this little road trip. We started our trip in Pensacola, Florida. <clears throat> and one of the things that I do, and I don't know if this is true with you, when you go on a trip, you go online, what's to do in the place? So TripAdvisor, Google, um, you go on, watch people's YouTube vlogs, they show what they've done in a place. So, you know, go to the beach when you're there. Well, one of the things that was really high on the list, thousands of reviews that you have to do this, was the National Aviation Museum, the National Naval Aviation Museum in Pensacola, Florida. Lots of reviews, and Jill and I, we gotta go to that. It's planes just all over the place in this building, all the naval stuff, and as a matter of fact, <clears throat> one of our own, Russell Day, that's where he went and got his training when he joined the Navy to fly jets. And so we're like, we gotta go to this place, see it. So 
We are going from the beach over to the Naval Aviation Museum. And we get up and Google has this red line that shows you're gonna be backed up and sure enough, we got there, it's backed up. <coughs> Two lines to get in to this area and we don't know which line to pick so we pick one. You know how you pick one, it's always the wrong one. So we pick one, it's moving along pretty decent. Halfway up, we start to see the signage and this lane over here says military personnel and this one says visitors. Now which line do you think at this point we're in, <laughs> right? There's cement barriers. There's no going back at all. There's no U-turns. So we're, and then the next sign we see is have your ID ready. I'm like, now that I can do. Get out my Colorado ID, I'm sure it'll be just fine. <laughs> just fine. So we get up there, I hand the guy my ID, you know, it's the gate to go into a military base. And he looks at my, at my ID and looks at me and he goes, so what are you here for today? <laughs> And I'm like, I'm going to the Naval Museum. Like, isn't that what like, a lot of people do? So I'm thinking I'm just in the wrong line. And he goes, you can't come on the base unless you're military personnel department of defense. And I'm like, you can't? Because there's music. He's like, hold on. And he goes and gets a cone and puts it behind me. He says, you pull up right over here. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like the old pull up and all these people with you know, uh, ARs standing around. So he comes up with my ID and he says it's right on the website that the museum is closed only to Department of Defense people and I didn't know that. So anyways, he shows us, gives me ID back and shows us where we can get off of the base. What we didn't know and we Googled is, you'll remember this five or six years ago, a person went on the base with a gun and shot a terrorist attack on the base there in Pensacola. Since then, it's been closed down to any civilians, and so you can't go to the Naval Museum at this point. Hopefully, someday, it will be opened up. So Jill and I come out. So that was our gate you know, experience, like wrong gate, and you don't even belong here, you can't come in. So we're heading towards Alabama, and um, when you come over into Mobile, Alabama, you'll see a big battleship right over there. It's the USS Alabama. And we had read about that. So we're like, let's go see the USS Alabama. So we get off and exit kind of on a whim. We tried that. This is a couple hours later. Let's try this. So we get up and sure enough, there's a gate, there's a person up there. But this time there's no long line. We're like, yes, no long line, no two lines. We get up to the gate. And instead of someone saying, let me see your ID, why are you here? It has $5 for parking. They don't even stop us. They go like this, come on. Like no stop, no ID, no nothing. Just come on in. We're like, now this is, this is more like it. So we go in the parking lot. There's tanks, there's planes, there's helicopters. It's great. So we go up, we see all that. We go up to the place to buy tickets to go on to the USS Alabama and there's also a submarine there that you can go on. And the door is closed. This is about four o'clock and the door, you can't get in. Like try this door, try this, it says right there. This is the entrance tickets, can't get in. So we see all these people coming out of the gate and there's a booth and a guy <coughs> checking and for the USLB. So we go over there and we said, is this the place to enter? And he's like, tickets stopped selling at 4 p.m. We look, it's like 4.15. 
And he's like, tickets stopped selling. We were all in the parking lot. This is the greatest place. And it's 4.15, and he's like, yep, get tickets. And then he looks at us, he goes, you know what? Come on in. He's like, you got about an hour, you can see everything. But just don't tell anybody I don't need that trouble in my life. <laughs> no ID, no like, here's your wristband, no money, just ah, come on in. So we toured the USS Alabama, walked through it, went through a submarine, hung out for about an hour. It was pretty funny to us because you get this like, this gate's like, no, <laughs> do not even come in, what are you doing? This gate was like, yeah, come on in, we don't need any ID. And we all have experiences, right? I mean, parking lots have gates. You go down to Ball Arena, it's got gates, right? You go to the Rockies game, it's got gates. You guys, probably some of you have key fobs in your pocket from your work that you have to go in through gates. Uh, we have lots of gates in our life. And we all understand the concept of a gate and the experiences we have with gates. But what's the significance of Jesus saying, I am the gate? Why, why did he even tell this story and introduce himself as the gate, which he does in verse number seven? Well, one of the things to remember is the books of the Bible did not always have chapters and verses. When John wrote this gospel, he was like, I'm an eyewitness to Jesus, and he wrote this down. There was no chapters or verses. So really, the story begins in <coughs> chapter 9. Chapter 9 of John is the same location, the same people, the same circumstances. Everything in chapter 9 of John is the same group that continues. It's just one story. So it's important to know the background of why Jesus tells this story. In John chapter 9, many of you will remember this story. It was a man that was blind from birth, and he had, was a beggar. And that's, in that day and age, people with disabilities and handicaps, they were kind of discarded by society. And so this man was a blind man who was a beggar. He meets Jesus. Jesus heals this blind man. As a matter of fact, you remember, this is the one where he spits on the mud. You know, Jesus was a spitter. He spits on the mud. He makes mud. It's not like real clean. He puts it on the eyes, you know. And the guy, and he says, go wash, and the guy can see. So he goes home, and his neighbors are like, what happened to you? This is amazing. So they ask him a lot of questions. And so they bring in this to the Pharisees about this guy being healed. And it's a pretty amazing story. They bring him to... Um, the, uh, the temple, and so here he is, and the Pharisees are asking him a bunch of questions. I mean, who healed you, you know? And he's like, it was this, this guy over here. And so he explains it. So then they're not satisfied with his answer, so they go get his parents. Was this guy really blind? And they're like, yeah, he was, he's been blind for birth. You can ask anyone around. And like, well, who healed him? Because it can't be someone from God because he healed him on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was not something you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And they considered healing somebody working on the Sabbath. So he can't be someone from God. So they tell the guy, call that person a sinner. Like that, that person's not from God. And he's like, if, if he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I just, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. And they're harassing him. And he's like, you know, kind of giving it a little bit back to them. The, the phrase that uses in Matthew 9, they say, this man, Pharisees say, was not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. So in verse 33, 
it makes this statement, if this man were not from God, the blind man says, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And then in verse 34, they call the blind man a sinner and they throw him out of the synagogue. And this is a whole message in itself, so today is not um, about that. But it is the background because Jesus then goes to teach about spiritual blindness. And that is the backdrop for chapter 10, the significance of Jesus calling himself the gate because the Pharisees thought they were the gatekeepers. Have you ever met someone in life that thought they were the gatekeeper of stuff and they weren't the gatekeeper? They had these lists of rules. They were the virtue and the vice police. They were the gatekeepers of how you get into heaven. They were the gatekeepers of how you earn favor with God. If you were allowed in the synagogue or not, they were the gatekeepers for that. And here they flex their gatekeeping muscles and they throw this man out of the synagogue. So Jesus wants to address this. So we get a story of sheep, shepherds, gates, and gatekeepers. So let's talk about sheep and shepherds. And from the scripture, this would have been a very familiar passage that, uh, or illustration that they would have understood. Not only from the scripture, the Psalms talk about <clears throat> shepherds and sheep a lot. Jesus or God is often referred to as a shepherd in the Old Testament. You remember we're in Moses right now? Moses was a shepherd. You know, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, they were shepherds. You remember King David was once a shepherd boy. They knew all the history of that. They also understood what being a shepherd and sheep because that was all around them. The agrarian culture was all around them. So in this first, first six verses, Jesus is going to describe a sheep pen. And he's going to actually refer to two different sheep pens in this story. And this is the first one that he illustrates with the gatekeeper. And that was, if you lived in a village or you lived in a city, you didn't have your own place for sheep. They had a communal sheep pen for all the sheep in the village. And so what the shepherds would do is they would take their sheep out to pasture during the day, find water, find grass, and there wasn't a lot in that area. So they would have to take them to different places. And at night, if you lived in a village or in a city, the shepherd would bring the sheep back to the sheep pen and there would be a gatekeeper. And you actually see that in here. The only one allowed in and out were the true shepherds and the sheep. And so in the morning, what would happen is the shepherds would come and they would call their sheep out of the sheep pen. We see that in the passage that Megan read. And at night, they would bring their sheep back in so the shepherds could get rest. And of course, if the sheep were tired, they would just count each other. And so that was, <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're still here with me. <laughs> Some of you are still here. What's the significance of this gate and the gatekeeper that Jesus is referencing in verse one through six? And I'd like to see just in this passage, three different significances of <clears throat> the gate and how it applies to our life. The first one is relationship. And this sounds a little weird that there was a relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, but it's actually why the shepherds were often considered like lower class, because all they did 
was hang out with sheep. They smelled like sheep. They were dirty. Their clothes were not clean. They didn't wear clothes for a village. They wore clothes for a shepherd. And so they had this relationship with the sheep that was very unique. And remember who was allowed in and out? It says it here that only the shepherd and the sheep in verse 2 were allowed in and out of this sheep with the gatekeeper there. And he would lead them out by his voice. And at night when they came back, the shepherd would take his staff and he would check the sheep as they come in. He would check them for burrs. He would check them for cuts, check them for scrapes. Um, he cared for these sheep and he took care of them. As a matter of fact, if you go back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 37, Ezekiel is given a prophecy for one day in heaven. And this is what Ezekiel says. I will take note of you as you pass under my rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. This is what God does. He, you pass as a sheep under his rod and he brings you in to heaven. And that's what Ezekiel is talking about. So what are the implications of this relationship that we see in one through six. Well, it's very fascinating because the first one it says he calls his sheep by name. He calls his sheep by name. And this shouldn't be too unfamiliar. If you have a dog, it probably has a name. If you have a cat, as a matter of fact, I bet every animal you have at home has a name. If you have a, I bet if you have a goldfish, you probably even name that. If you have a reptile, you give it a name. We're very familiar with that. And why is this important? That shepherd actually named his sheep. He knew them by their name. Probably like Gimpy, Whitey, you know, Blackie, uh, Spot, I don't know, George. I don't know what they named the sheep. But he knew them by name and he called them by name. Listen, Jesus does not have just a general interest in the world. Jesus loves you specifically. He knows you by name. He personalizes his message to you. It's not a factory. It's not assembly line of human beings that just all come out cookie cutter. It's a specific call to you. And Jesus loves you and calls you by name. We know this in verse 27, later in the chapter 10, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Do we see this other places in the Bible? Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 139 gives specifically how intimately God knows us. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He calls his sheep by name. Another implication is very interesting. It says anyone can enter. Now think about this. Wait, I thought it was only for specific. Verse 9 says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. 
So what I call this, and this is not original with me, but this is the theological idea that the gospel is inclusive of everybody, but it's specific. It's inclusive, but it's specific. I mentioned ball arena earlier. This is not something that's foreign to us. Anyone can go to a Rockies game or can go to a Nuggets game or can go to a hockey game. Anyone can go. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't, even, it doesn't matter your wealth. It doesn't matter your religion. Anyone's allowed to go down and see a Nuggets game. But you do have to enter by the gate and you do have to have a ticket. And if you've ever tried to do it another way, you probably found someone that told you you're not in the right place at the right time. And as a matter of fact, you don't even have to pay for a ticket to go to the game. Someone can give it to you. It can be a gift. Anyone can go. But it is specific on how you get into the game. Jesus says, I am the gate. All are invited. This is exactly the idea of John 3.16. For whoever believes in me. Everyone in Romans 10 who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Jesus says, I am the gate and I am the only gate. This is the only way to get in. And the third implication I see from this relationship is the sheep know his voice. It says they listen and they follow. Verse number four, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse number 27, recalling that again, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. How does this happen? Think about this. All of these sheep are mixed up at night in this sheep pen. And there's many shepherds that put their sheep in there. And the shepherd shows up. There's one way in, one way out. And the shepherd's voice, all of his sheep follow him. Isn't that fascinating? And I read a lot of history this week about that. And you can actually go to Israel today, and there are places you can go, and there's shepherds and sheep, and they demonstrate this for you. And a shepherd will call his sheep, and they just come along, just his sheep. Verse number three and four, which I read, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I don't know if you grew up in a school that had recesses in elementary where all the kids would go out for recess. It's chaos, right? I mean, it's like first, second, and third, and there's multiple first grades, multiple seconds. They're out in the, there, and it's chaos. And the teachers don't even care, right? I mean, it's like, as long as I don't see it or hear it, that's fine. Except for my teacher ceasing to always care, whatever chaos I was causing. But when I was in elementary, I remember this, and we, in my younger elementary, there was multiple um, elementary classes. We'd go out, we'd all play. But every teacher kind of had that unique voice and that unique call. And out of the chaos, all these kids would come and line up, you know? And I remember that I, I had a teacher once that was, hers was one, two, three. Like that was her thing, you know? She was from a military background, and we all replied, eyes on me, you know, and you go line up, you know. I, one teacher, like, she only said one word, and we were all scared if she got to a second word and we weren't lined up, you know, that may be. But it, it's like you, you become familiar. And you know this, how do you come to know someone's voice? 
It's familiarity. It's time with him. And this is what it was like for the shepherd. The sheep knew the shepherd's voice. If you are a child of God, get to know his voice. The more time you spend with him, the more time in prayer, the more time in his word, the more time listening to God, you recognize his voice. You become more receptive to his voice. So the gate was a place of relationship. Only sheep and shepherds in and out of this gate. And it was a special relationship that they had. And Jesus says there's only one way, and that is I am the gate. Number two, the gate brought security. The gate brought security. Verse number one says anyone who enters the sheep pen by the gate or doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs into it another way is a thief and a robber. Verse number eight says a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So here in verse seven through 10, we're introduced to another type of sheep pen. So I mentioned the village, but what would happen to the sheep herders that were either nomadic or they lived not in a village and they lived out in rural places? Well, they would have to find the green pasture and they would have to find the water, which was sparse. And so there was no place to bring the sheep in those kind of cases back to. So they had these temporary pens. And you've probably seen these pens are made of rocks. Sometimes they had sticks, other things. And it was this temporary pen out in the <coughs> desert that had just an opening for it. It didn't have an actual gate and there was no gatekeeper. And Jesus uses this type of pen and this illustration in 7 through 10 to say, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, what does that mean? What that means is the shepherd at night would go and lay in that opening at night to protect his sheep. There was no gate. The shepherd was the gate. And if you see pictures, it's not a very big opening. It's just enough for the shepherd to sit in or for the shepherd to lay in. He was the actual gate. The gate was a person. <clears throat> and so security, we find, is found not in a physical gate. It's found in a person. And the sheep could go in and go out, and they would be safe. Now, what was the security from? Like, what were the shepherds keeping them safe from? And this has it in our passage, robbers, thieves, and we know historically from a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, and predators that came in. So, it, you know, in the English language, we have robbers and thieves, and we kind of put those together. These are actually two different words here that Jesus was using, and they would understand that robbers would be someone by force or by intimidation coming to steal. They would understand thieves. That would be like someone that was trying to con or someone that was trying to trick someone. These are the people that would come to steal the sheep. And then there was also predators. You know, we live in a world with so much beauty, but we also live in a world with danger. And specifically, Jesus is addressing here spiritual danger. The Bible tells us that there are predators that are out to harm the sheep. And here's the thing. Predators don't announce themselves. I'm a predator. It's okay. You can trust me. Right? How did 
Jesus describe the predators? Sheep, they were wolves in sheep clothing, right? Isn't that how he described them? Instead, what a, a, a predator would do is obviously find a different way in to the sheep pen. You know, the Bible calls these false teachers. <coughs> they claim to speak for God, but they are inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. And they often disguise themselves in different ways. Maybe they say something that sounds good and they quote a verse. Or maybe they emphasize just one of God's characters at the expense of others. When I was in college, um, I remember one specifically that was kind of rising to significance. You'll remember that the Bible declares to be inerrant. It's the word of God. It is God-breathed. And so we believe that the Bible is without error. There are people that believe that the Bible has error. And so they would show where they think the Bible has inconsistencies or the Bible is not true. So in order to protect against this, the group that the Bible is without error, some of them are like, we got to protect the Bible. And one of the ways that they would protect the Bible is, which is the best Bible? Which is most accurate? Which seems like it makes sense. Which Bible is most consistent to what we have from the Greek texts and from the Hebrew text? Which is the most? And then there was a group that's like, well, not just which, if we're saying the Bible is inerrant, which text is not only the best, which text is the only text we should use? Like, if you use another one, you're not a good person. So we got that, the only text. Well, if it's the only text that we use, then we got to separate what happens if you teach out of the wrong text. So then you got this group over here. You can only be saved if you're saved out of the only text. So you see how we got way over here. And it was false teaching. There were people that I knew that taught, unless you got led to Jesus out of this Bible, you could not be saved. Right? I mean, and we see this all throughout history where we swing this way and we sing that. And it's false teaching. And Jesus was pointing out to them that these people are all around. They're trying to get in the sheep pen and they're robbers and thieves. And who in this passage was he talking about? He was talking about the Pharisees. They thought they were the gatekeepers and they were leading people away from God. And these motives of people that are false teachers today, they have, they're looking for a following, they're looking for a political agenda they have, they want money, and some of them actually want to harm people. That's why at Valley Community Church, it's very important, our elders affirm a theological statement that we believe. All the elders and pastors have to agree to that. Every year we affirm the elders at the end of the year that they do believe this and they are walking in a way to lead the sheep of Valley Community. It's why if you go in the back, there'll be somebody, a security person in the hallway. It's why our children's ministry workers have to pass a background test because we know, a background check, we know that there are robbers and thieves and predators out there and we live according to this. 
And think about this context. These people that Jesus was addressing were leading people away. Listen to 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Matthew 7.15 says this, Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They are inwardly ravaging wolves. And here's how you'll know them in, first, in Matthew 7.16. You'll recognize them by their fruit. How do you recognize a predator and a false teacher? Jesus said by their fruit. What fruit should they have? It should look like this. Love. Joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. What is the fruit we know they should not look like? Idolatry, sexual immorality, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, factions, envy, drunkenness. You know, Valley has a, um, a list of all the people that regularly are part of Valley. It has your picture, your name. You can be part of the church directory. And the point of that church directory, I don't know if you've had this, someone's been coming for like six months to year. You know them. And you show up at church and like, they've been coming for six months and I don't know their name. And you're afraid to go up and ask them their name because you're like, you're going to be like <laughs> embarrassed. Like I've talked to you, I know 20 times. So we have this church directory. You can get to know people at Valley, see who they are. You can pray for them, care for them. But we're very protective about this list. We have a password. We only give it out um, to people that are a part of the community. And I was listening to a guy speak once that was sharing about the importance of this and protection. And he was sharing, he's a pastor. He was sharing that a guy called him once that he was friends with and had a... Um, this movement, and it was actually something that was um, an idea, a concept that he really supported, the pastor really supported. And he said, this guy that called said, I think your people would really want to know this information and would want to get involved in what this is. And the pastor's like, I think a lot of our people would. He said, would you be willing to share with me the church directory of all your people's information? And the pastor was like, oh, no, we don't, we don't do that. And the guy said, well, it's illegal to sell that, but it is not illegal to lease it to me. Like you can lease that list to me. So, and he was sharing the legality of it. And the pastor's like, you know, we don't, we don't really do that. And the guy says, you, you support the cause, right? He's like, I support the cause. Why would you not want to share this with your people? And he said the guy started to get angry and frustrated. And he realized what? It's not about the cause. It's about the list and it's about the money, right? This is what Jesus is saying. You will know them. It will look like strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition. And what the true shepherd looks like is love, joy, Peace, gentleness. Okay, third one. We've got to move on. There's a lot here, so we might have to cut some of it short. The third one. The relationship, security, and the last one is flourishing. Verse number nine says, He will come in and out 
He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. So he's contrasting here. Those who do not use the gate, those do not, who do not come in by Jesus, they come in to kill and destroy, either on purpose or it is just a natural repercussion of what they are teaching. Jesus says, I'm the gate, I am the way to abundant life. I am the way to human flourishing, I think is the common phrase that you'll hear today. I am the way to green pastures, to flowing water. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, here's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they put them on people's shoulders. That's what the Pharisees were doing. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. The people that are coming over the fence and over the wall and in the other ways that's not through Jesus are actually just burdening the people. What is the gate to abundant life? Here's the thing. The sheep weren't just meant to stay in the sheep pen all day. You remember I said there was security in that? And one of the things you might take away is like, oh, the sheep pen's heaven. That's where you go. You're safe. But it says they come in and they go out. The sheep pen was not a place that they were supposed to say. There's no green pastures in the sheep pen. There's no flowing water. There's no place to hop around as a sheep. Fear could lead a sheep to stay in the sheep pen. But what happens when the shepherd leaves and you're in the sheep pen all by yourself? Well, I would normally say you're a sitting duck. But I guess this would be a, a sitting sheep. They have no defense mechanism. Where was the security and the flourishing life? It was with the shepherd. And when the shepherd was the gate, and he left, right? You went with the shepherd. Well, maybe... You're a sheep, and then you get out, and you're like, let's go explore the world. Let's go enjoy life. Have you seen that little meme where the guy pulls the sheep out of the ditch? It's like a ditch, and he pulls him out. This, I should have played it this morning. He pulls the sheep out of the ditch, and the sheep takes three hops and right back into the ditch. It's a great meme. It probably should be your afternoon exercise Find that on YouTube, sheep that jumps back in the ditch. Because this is us. Jesus is like pulling us out. He's the gate, light to flourishing. And we're like, let's go do something else. And the shepherd's like, oh, got to go pull Paul back out of the ditch. <laughs> Safety and flourishing was where the shepherd was. Aristotle said the virtuous life leads to the happy life. But you know what Aristotle never taught? How does a bad person become a good person? So the virtuous life meant a good life, but how do you become a virtuous person? Epicurus said the good life is found in enjoying life's pleasure. But what we find out is pursuing the pleasures of life often enslaves us to those pleasures and leaves us more empty. And Solomon tested all of that. 
materialistic society will tell you money, houses, and boats are the way to the good life. Jill and I have visited Graceland. I don't know if you visited Graceland. It's just, it, it's hard to imagine. Like, you know, a huge warehouse that's just cars that Elvis bought. I mean, I don't know how many cars he bought, but he have a, a room that's just his clothes and it's just like 5% of the 9,000 outfits, you know, he had. And it's all of this stuff. And what we find is materialism often just leaves you empty. It often leaves you enslaved to the things that you desire. Some of us seek affirmation to the good life from our spouse, from our kids, from a boyfriend, from the workplace, from a being a community leader or on social media. All of those paths are jumping in and out of the sheep pen a different way. All of these things, the good life, the materials, affirmation, all of these are given to us as a gift from God. But if you put your trust in them, they will eventually let you down at some point and leave you empty. If your worth is found in your kids, in your job, in your husband, in your spouse, they will at some point let you down. But through Jesus and through the transformation of his spirit, the guidance of his word, it leads you to a life of goodness and virtue through Jesus. You enjoy life without being enslaved to life pleasures. Through the gate, you can earn money, have possessions, and not be controlled by greed. Through the gate of Jesus, you can enjoy affirmation from others, but not be dependent on their love and approval. Because the flourishing life is filled with joy. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Flourishing life is acceptance from God. In John 1:12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to be called the children of God. You are accepted as a child if you believe on his name. The flourishing life finds security in Romans 8:35 in God's love. What a great place to end. Romans 8:35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from the good shepherd? Affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God. And that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Two weeks ago, the university that my kids play at, Grand Canyon University, or that my kids go to school, college at, Grand Canyon University, they got the privilege to be part of March Madness basketball, and they played at Ball Arena. They were underdogs. They played Gonzaga. It didn't look good for them. They played okay. 
But I decided I wanted to go down and maybe be part of the fun and part of the action. So I'm leaving the parking lot, I'm dry, uh, walking that way, and there's these three college kids that are like wanting to enjoy the action. They just, super friendly, just start walking and talking to me, where are you from? They're also from Colorado. And they're like, I said, so you have a ticket to the game? They're like, no, we don't have tickets to the game. Ah, uh, so you don't get to go to the game. And here's what they said, all three of them, but one of them was the representative, and they're all like, yeah, we're gonna sneak into the game. That's what they're gonna do, we're gonna sneak into the game. Ball arena, right? Now, one person in here understands this probably better than any of us. Patrick Lebrano did that for years, security guard to get in to a place that had a gate, right? He was the guy, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> and all I can picture is these kids, while the fun and enjoyment <laughs> of the game is going on, all I can picture is they're going, here's a door. Let's try this door, right? And like, there's a gate. You think we could get over that gate and get in? And instead of enjoying the game, which I understand it was an expensive game, so you know, nothing on them for not buying a ticket. But instead of enjoying the game, they're trying to figure out another way to get it in the game. And I'm pretty sure Ball Arena's met three kids like that before. <laughs> because I was a teenager once. <laughs> I think I've gone to a movie that maybe I didn't pay for the ticket. Okay, a little confession time. I think I've been to a game before that maybe there was an open gate. That might be a possibility. But when you think about the Good Shepherd, the place of relationship with God, one way in to heaven, the place of security, the place of flourishing life. Not trying to get over the wall, getting injured. I don't know if you've done that over a gate. Not wasting your time and your energy. Not being a, in a life that is fooled by the people trying to get over the gate like the Pharisees were doing to those people. God wants you to go through and through the gate because he desires a relationship with you. Jesus wants to keep you safe and from harm. And have we read twice today, he can keep you safe, and he will keep you safe from spiritual danger. And once you are a part of his family, he holds that family. And Jesus wants you to know the abundant life, and that is a life of fullness that begins now and lasts for eternity. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the gate, the one that laid in the doorway the one that was willing to give himself for us. Whatever dangers would come, there was a shepherd that would lay down his life, and we will learn that that was the good shepherd. He gave his life for the world. Anyone can come in. We rejoice in that invitation this morning. And we celebrate this morning that that open invitation is Jesus who you've introduced to each and every one of us. If there is someone here today that has not gone through the gate, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. And for those that have chosen this morning to follow Jesus, they would not be distracted by false teaching. They would not be 
distracted by false claims of flourishing, that they would follow Jesus, the Good Shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.